So I'm going to go ahead and start reading in Luke chapter 22. Well, you, you can turn there. But in, in your notes, I have Hebrews 4.16 in the Amplified and the Passion. And would you allow me to read these two notes before we get going with the message? Hebrews 4.16 Amplified. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. That's how we have to approach God right there. Fearlessly, confidently, and boldly draw near the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need. Everybody say every need. Appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Let's lift our hands. Let's thank God we got that, that reality in our life, that kind of help. And then the passion, my new favorite translation. It says, he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned. I love that. To receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I don't know if, I mean, again, these are incredible verses that we, we need to attach to our lives and remember them in, in the days coming, in the trials of life that we'll be talking about today. Okay, so in Luke chapter 22... We're just moments away, a few hours away from Jesus going into the garden and then being taken uh, captive, betrayed and taken captive, turned over to the high priest and the the chief priests and the elders and then crucified. And so this is the purpose for which Jesus came. It says to be the lamb slain. From the foundation of the world, but he is now physically going to be turned over and his life is going to be made a propitiation. He is the mercy seat. And so he's going to give his life. And they're at the Last Supper, okay? And what should be a great occasion of joy takes on some real somber emotions. I mean, the last thing, the, the, the 12 disciples, they could not figure out what Jesus was talking about. They, for, for weeks, at least for weeks, maybe months, Jesus is telling them as they're moving toward Jerusalem, the Son of Man must be turned over to the chief. And he must be, and then he even says words like this, he, he will be scourged, whipped, beaten. He will be... Uh, Killed, and on the third day he'll rise from the dead. And they were just not understanding it. Okay? So there was a confusion that they had. And now, at this last supper, um, they're, they're having this, this uh, very important Passover meal. And in, in verse 20, you know, he tells the, the guys, as he took the cup after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So, my blood's going to be shed for you. So that, whoa! I mean, what if you're at dinner at the store's house and we start using language like, I mean, what? what? I mean, we're over here for dinner. What? You're talking about shedding your blood from, for us? And... Then verse 21, then he says this. Here's where the hand grenades grenades really begin to get tossed to to bring this night into total confusion. Verse 21, but behold, the hand of the betrayer is with me on the table. Now, it's really, I mean, can you imagine... You've been with this group of 12 with Jesus for three years. And Jesus at at this Passover dinner says, one of you is a betrayer. You're going to betray me. And so now it's just, again, another thing is 
is ramping up. And truly, the Son of Man goes as he has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do such a thing. It's not me. I'm not the one that's going to betray. I think it's you. Pointing the fingers. Can you see the how intense the evening now has gotten? Started off pretty, you know, not lighthearted maybe, but, you know, the guys are together. We're having, you know, the Passover supper and we're with the, and then boom, these statements start being thrown out by the Lord and, and they then begin to question each other. Now look at verse 24. Now one thing, how many of you know one thing always leads to another? When you start going down and getting, and things can get out of hand. In verse 24, now there was also, on top of all this other, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now they're in an argument at the Lord's Supper, at the Passover feast. Who's going to be the greatest? Now, I mean, this is a mess. Things are, there's a betrayer among us. And they're all arguing. No, and you know, probably Peter being, he seems like he's the oldest of, James might have been as old as Peter, but, um, you know, he's one of the older disciples. And he was obviously, you know, the more brass and, and, and aggressive, it, it would seem. And <clears throat> Jesus begins to tell them, no, you guys got it wrong. You know, we're, I came to serve. Not to be served. And you have to, the greatest are those that serve. And yet I'm among you as one who serves. And he, so he, he brings correction to him. But then look at verse 31. And the Lord said to Simon, Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, the word, I don't know why these translations and half the translations translate it as Satan is asked. As if he's, you know, just kind of like an, an idea. Satan just, can I, can I have people? No, the word in the Greek is to demand. To demand. Satan has demanded Simon, Simon. Here you are, arguing who's going to be the greatest. Your flesh has overwhelmed you. You've moved over into darkness, the breeding ground of demonic activity. That's where the devil lives. You've made those decisions. You've chosen poorly. You're now in in the realm of darkness with your attitudes and your thoughts and your motives. Think how discouraging that must have been for Jesus. But he, he, he realized... He, you cannot be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. We, when you are converted or return, strengthen your brethren. The Moffat translation says, Simon, Simon, Satan has claimed his rights for you. From my power to his power. And, and Jesus had to let him go. Now, guys, that ought to just scare us straight. When we realize that we can put ourselves in a place where Jesus says, Satan has a legal claim on you. Guys, it's real important how we live, that we, we do not allow things unbecoming of a son or daughter of the Lord. Son of God, that we, that we don't live petty. We don't live with jealousies and envies and, and we don't live like mere men of the world where there's strife and contention over positions, over what's mine. All things are yours. Why would we grasp with covetousness some little thing when everything is ours? And so you see here that Jesus says Satan has claimed, is claiming his right for you. And... Thank God for Jesus praying. And so Peter says, no, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm your number one guy. I am at your right hand, even unto death. 
Even if I have to go to prison, uh, Matthew and Mark would say the same story. And Jesus then says to Peter, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. And so they go out. And in verse 37, they, they, they leave the upper room. And as they're leaving in verse um, 37, the last part of that verse, Jesus says, for the things concerning me have an end. What he's saying is, all these prophecies about me and why I've come, it's, it's, this is coming to the climactic conclusion here on these prophecies. And then they say, look, look, here are two swords. So they began, the, the guys began to figure out, this is, this is really weird. You know, I mean, Jesus talking about unto death, shedding his blood for us. And, and he, he's, now they're remembering the words that he's going to be turned over to the enemy. And so the, what do the guys do? They began to, they're preparing for a battle. They're preparing for, you know, war in a way. And they look around and they find two little short swords. And they pick them up and they say, Jesus, here are two swords. And what does Jesus say? Stop that, enough of that talk. Actually, in the Greek, it's stop, enough of that talk. And what do the two swords represent in this story? Why does the Holy Spirit include this little phrase, and they said to Jesus, look, look, here are two swords. Two swords represent carnal strength, my words and my will. Because that's all you got. If you're in the flesh, you got your words and your will. That's all those two swords, and, and they're insignificant in the battle. Okay, so now that's all setting this up for the garden they're about ready to walk into. And so they leave the upper room, and they begin singing a hymn, and they cross the brook Kidron, and they go into what's called the Mount of Olives, to a place in the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And it was a place that Jesus frequently and, and would, would be at many, many times. And during what's called his Passion Week, the last six, seven, uh, six days, he would, uh, it was his custom, and he would go into Gethsemane and pray. And, and so Gethsemane, for Jesus, was his prayer closet. Everybody say prayer closet. It was a place he would go pray. And again, what does Gethsemane mean? Oil press. So you already see the picture, don't you? That when you go into your prayer closet, what flows? What's oil? The anointing. The anointing. When you get in your prayer closet, there's an anointing that flows. Now, what does the word anointing mean? It means, actually, the word anointing itself means to smear. Okay. And so we've all had an injury, and maybe we had a cream. We would we would rub on the muscle that's been injured or, or you know, need some uh, tending to. And we would rub that in. But you you just don't slap cream on, do you? What do you do? When you smear it in, you rub it in until you can't see it because it's now been smeared into that muscle. And so when you're under the anointing, what that means is the anointing is the Holy Spirit. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. It's grace. It's the spirit of grace coming into you. And so when you're anointed, like if, if this morning I am trusting on the anointing, the person of the Holy Spirit anointing me and anointing my words and my tongue and my heart and causing something to come out other than two little swords. What we don't need today is three scriptures and a poem and go home, even though the three scriptures could be powerful. What we need is the anointing that breaks the yoke. And we think so many times about some some powerful explosion when it comes to the anointing. But many times it's it's a strengthening. When you are under an anointing, your will gets supercharged. I call it willpower. It's my will, his power. His power touches my will and enables me to choose that which is right. It enables me to choose. But there is a process to getting to that point where the Holy Spirit anoints me, empowers me. He, he smears His grace into my, 
into my heart, into my will, and begins to cause me to get strong. I'm just how God works. In the Old Testament, you see Hezekiah. It says that his father had destroyed the temple. And when Hezekiah, first day, it says the first month, first day, first hour, the first thing, Hezekiah, his name means comforting breath of Yah. He's the type of the Holy Spirit. The first thing he did was to repair the doors of the temple. The word repair is strengthen. Strengthen. What, what do doors of a temple do? What do doors do? Any door. But why? what's the purpose of a door? To let things in and keep things out. Your will, the human will, is the door. What you will is coming into your life. What you don't will is not coming into your life. But we have a problem. Paul said, the things that I will, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And there's this human condition. The Adamic nature is as is a soup sandwich all the time. And but we can't live as that, and we've got to move over into sons of God. And that's what we've been preaching. We're sons. When and we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And my human will must be charged with grace. And so Jack Hayford says grace I love this definition of grace. He says grace is the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the human heart working with power. And so, there's been times when I have been prayerless. And I've, that my prayerlessness, my wordlessness, no word, no prayer. Just walking in the natural man. I have no evil intentions, although the carnal man is bent into that. Okay? But, I don't find strength to do anything for God. My flesh... And that's what Romans 8 talks about. The mind that is set on the flesh leads to the flesh, but the mind that is set on the Spirit. And so how do you get your mind set on the Spirit and on the eternal realities of the kingdom of God and, and living in His presence by going into that Gethsemane prayer closet and picking up the Word of God and saying no to your flesh and you tell your flesh, get under my feet. You tell your flesh, get behind me, Satan. You do not cut your flesh any slack. And you certainly don't convince yourself that you can go into a spiritual battle with two little swords and win. Those two little swords are about as useless as the wooden oars when the guys were on the ship on the Sea of Galilee caught in that supernatural storm. And it says they were straining at the oars. You're going to strain in your Christian walk using natural oars, natural swords, the natural man, the carnal man. You must be spiritual. You are a, you, God has created you to be a spiritual being. You are created as a new creation with all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living inside you. The potential that you have to manifest God is 100%. 100% of God can manifest out of you. Did you hear that? But He will not be able to manifest if you're carnal, if you're natural. You have to realize that there is a, a, a process whereby you can be strengthened to overcome. And it comes through the oil flowing. Now the other day I, I had this picture on an exhortation, a word of knowledge, that there were some people here bitter. Well, that's probably all of us at one time or another in a month. Something, I mean, human condition. You know, you don't have to be the most bitter person on planet Earth. All of us at times. I mean, I've had to battle in the last 30 days some bitterness. I don't know where it came from, but I had to deal with it. And that picture I saw over the, this face of somebody who had just been sucking on lemons, squeezed honeycomb. Jesus, right over the head of that person, squeezed honeycomb. And honey began to come out and drip all over the person. And it was our choice to take hold of, of the, that anointing, that oil that was that honey, represented by honey, but it's the presence of God. That presence of God is 
overflowing and coming down. And it says, if you can get brothers together in unity, it says how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to come together in unity. It's like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard all the way down to the hem. Guys, we need his anointing. We need his oil to strengthen us, to empower us. That's not going to happen just sitting at the Lord's Supper. We're going to have to be empowered the way Jesus showed us to be empowered. Okay, so because there's so much I still need to say, you're just going to have to read these in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When they got to the garden, we know what happened. He sat down the twelve, and then he took Peter, James, and John, and went a little ways from the, the other nine, and, and he put Peter, James, and John down near him. And then Peter, James, and John are the inner three, his closest three apostles, disciples. And then he he re, he, he goes just a little bit more away, uh, just a few few yards away, and he falls down. And well, before he leaves, Peter, James, and John, he says these words. He says, "Pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing." He said this, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now he says, guys, many of you in this room, you, your spirit being, you, you want to do good, but if you don't get surcharged with grace, your flesh is going to betray you. And your flesh will bring you to your knees. And your flesh will cause you to betray the Lord. And your flesh will cause you, as it did with Simon Peter, three times denying him the third time with cursing. How weak is your flesh against spiritual powers? Think about Elijah, a man with the same like passion. He commanded the heavens to shut, and they shut for three and a half years. He commanded the heavens to come forth with seven times praying, praying uh, seven times, praying through, and the heavens gave gave its rain. But then the next day he meets Jezebel. He doesn't even see her. He hears the threat of, of Jezebel, and he runs for his life. The great Elijah the prophet Elijah, who commanded fire to come down out of heaven, who co- commanded the heavens to open up the rains, the next day is literally running from his, for his life, wanting to commit suicide. He's so unbelievably caught up in this storm of spiritual warfare. And, and now he's no longer on his knees praying. He's running in the flesh. He's running away. This is... Um, there's... So many pictures in the Bible showing us that if we stay in the flesh, we will fail. But if we move over by the grace of God into the things of the Spirit, we will be victorious. So Jesus goes and he prays and it says, what does in the Garden of Gethsemane, in, in the place where the oil is supposed to flow, the oil press, and when you're pressed out beyond measure, insomuch you despair of life, the Apostle Paul said, you pray. And when you're praying, there's th- this oil press. Under pressure, they would, they, you know, that, that's the olive oil is what they were getting. Uh, they're on Mount of Olives. And, and they would squeeze their oil presses up there. And they, the, and, and the, you know, olive presses. And they would get the oil. And so under pressure, what's in you is going to come out. Now under pressure, if, you, if you're not in Gethsemane, if, if you're in front of your TV or wherever you are, if it's not in the prayer closet, you're not going to find the strength that you need. Something else is going to come out. How many of you have been under pressure and something else came out? That's the way it is, the human condition. But we, we're not mere men. We're sons of God. We're new creation. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost living in us. We've got the fullness of God. And that you might be filled, Ephesians 3.19, with all the fullness of God. I am a legit, DNA legit son of God. I'm not a mere man. My, I've got different DNA. You and I have different DNA. 
I'm not talking about physical DNA. I'm talking about the, because we're not just flesh. We're body, soul, and spirit. And now there's something different about me. I've got two natures. My human nature and the Holy Spirit living in me. That's what Second Peter's all about. That we've been made a sharer in, a partaker in the divine nature. Oh, church, right now. We, Jesus, he's leaving Peter, James, and John, uh, goes a little bit, falls down, and begins to pray. And the, he prays these words. Oh, I, my soul is in anguish. I'm in agony, even unto death. So what happens? And he said these words, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let, let this... Some... some some really good people I love and respect do not believe that Jesus was asking for a way out from the cross. They, they believe that he was saying, let this cup pass from me, that I don't want to die here in the garden. That's what they'd say that cup is. Matter of fact, the author of the Passion Translation, the right, the, he believes that. That's, I, I totally disagree. What's... What Jesus was not just God, but he was man. I can show you in Isaiah 49 where Jesus, the man, is saying, I'm discouraged. It's All my work is in vain. That's what he says in Isaiah 49. Jack Hayford again says one of the strangest passages in the Bible where Jesus, it's prophesied in Isaiah 49 when he's going to come to the earth and be a man, that he's discouraged. That he wants to quit. That, that all my work is for nothing. But you know what Isaiah also says? Isaiah 49. This next word. Nevertheless. My reward is with you, God. And then, then he spoke to himself. This was so strange. The word knew that he's going to, as a man, have to deal with discouragement. And so he speaks to himself this promise. And the, and, the, and the Lord said, you're my servant. I'm going to make you the light of the world. You're going to redeem Israel. And you're going to save planet Earth. He reads those words and he gains strength. What will always happen to you if you get in Gethsemane? If you get in the prayer closet? Oil will flow. The word of the Lord will be illuminated. You will begin to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And he prays, let this cup pass from me. That was his humanity under, under great stress. Just stop there for a second. Do you think when Jesus went 40 days in the, gar- in the wilderness, that when Satan tempted him, that Jesus, it says he was greatly hungered after 40 days, he hungered. And that's when those temptations hit him in a weakened state. Do you think those temptations were lighthearted things? That he just brushed them off like this? Some people do. Some people are teach that he, because he's God in the flesh, could not have fallen. That is absolutely a lie. Because if you can't really be tempted to sin, you're not under temptation. He was tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. And I tell you, Jesus had prayed 40 days in the wilderness. He was supercharged. And he came out in victory. It says in the power of the Spirit he came out of that wilderness experience. And now he's in another wilderness experience. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives. He knows what's about ready to happen just in a few moments. Just a few moments. And he's praying the horror, the terror. He knows that he's going to be this lamb that's going to be slain. He's going to be beaten and whipped. And I have done a lot of study on the shroud over the last month. And I am telling you, when you see the sufferings of that crucified man, that image that's in that shroud, and I'm only going to tell, I will tell you about the shroud in the weeks to come, but I am 100% convinced it is the resurrection shroud of the Lord. And it shows every single beating that, that Jesus took from the spear side, the, the nails in the hands and the feet, and over 600 blows on his body from, from, even his face was hit by those, those lashes all the way to his feet. He knew that was going to happen. 
And even worse, the sin of all mankind was we could be judged as the worst of all sinners ever, Martin Luther said. Though he was not a sinner, he was judged as a He knew all this. And he was crying out, let this cup pass from. And then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will. Did I just say will? Not my will, but your will be done. This is the crux. Jesus told the disciples, pray. For the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your human will, if it's not anointed, smeared with his presence and strength, you will turn in the day of battle. He comes back to his guys, he finds them sleeping. They're not praying. And he says these words, What? Could you not tarry with me an hour? So he left them. You know, but their, it says they were, their hearts were... They were heavy with sleep, but the Luke account says that they were sleeping out of what? Sorrow. They, there was a confusing night. They'd gotten a fight with each other. How many of you know when you get in a fight with, you know, your loved ones, it pretty much takes all your strength. You're confused. You don't know what's happening next. He's talking about his blood being shed for us. I mean, all, all this is, and, 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 but you have to understand if you could see a tornado, like do you guys remember looking at some of those in Oklahoma City tornadoes and Joplin, Missouri tornado, those F4s and F5s, how they said these things were a mile wide, traveling at 225 miles an hour. It's worse than that in the spirit realm. All the demons everywhere on earth, beneath the earth, second heavens, they're all coming together, cascading upon Jerusalem. I mean, it's a, it's a tornado of evil. For the hour of the evil one, Jesus said, is coming in. I want you to know this, that God has ordained victory for us, but he also tells us that in each of our lives, there will be an hour where the evil one will reign. And that means there will be trials that you and I will have to go through. But remember, God's way is not to run around the Red Sea. His way is through the Red Sea. And it's His way with you and I. Because we're sons. We're not servants. We're not cowards. We're not, you know, just waiting for a rapture. We are the body of Jesus Christ. Filled with Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not mere men. We're sons of God. And we have a treasure within us that we can tap into and walk in every moment. And Jesus, He goes and He prays a second time the same words. Fervently, earnestly, on His face, praying. And as He prayed, in Luke 22, it says that God sent an angel. Now, the angel represents grace. What did the angel do? Strengthened him. And the, and the Lord, and an angel from heaven came and strengthened Jesus. This is a template. Jesus is showing us exactly what to do. That when we're overwhelmed, you get in your prayer closet and you pray until the oil flows. And the angels come out of heaven and anoint you and strengthen you. And, and the angel might have been reminding Jesus, Hey, just the other day, you were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Lord, with, with Elijah and Moses. And you were transfigured there. You remember the power of the resurrection is, is, you are the resurrection and the life. And the world, your bride is going to be redeemed. The Son of God came to the earth for a bride anyway. I mean, this is why Jesus came for a bride. And he's reminding, the angel's reminding Jesus. Maybe the angel physically appeared, probably did, but even if he did, that angel's there and doing his job of strengthening. And there's an angel for you and me. It's called grace. Whether God sends you a specific angel, which he probably would and, and will do, but you've got the great Holy Spirit who is called the Spirit of 
grace. And so Jesus, he comes to him a third time and he finds him sleeping. Not praying. And he says, go ahead and sleep on. Then, but then Jesus makes a statement. He says, for the hour of the evil one is upon us. And so I asked the Lord about this. And the Lord said, can you be thrown into a furnace and not be burned up? Is it possible that you could be thrown into a furnace seven times hotter and not be burned up? I, I don't mean like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where the Lord, you know, shows up. I'm talking about in the nat- just in the natural. Is there a way that you could survive a fire if you were thrown into a furnace? Well, even in the natural, you, you could get in a fire retardant suit. You could wear a suit. And the Lord showed me that picture. He said, when you're prayerless, you have no suit on. The fire will burn you up. But when you've prayed and the oil has flown, you can go into the trial and never enter into the temptation. The trial is the furnace. The flame is the temptation. The flame never need touch you. In a fire retardant suit, you can walk in the furnace and never be touched by the flame. Through prayer, the oil, the Garden of Gethsemane prayer, the oil flowing, you can be so empowered that your spirit will power through and your flesh will not trip you up. But if there is not the hour, if you do not prepare for the hour of the evil one, what happened when the hour of the evil one showed up? Well, Peter picks up one of those two little swords, and what does he do? He cuts off the ear of Malchus. Now, if you read that in the Amplified, in parentheses, he cut off Malchus's ear. That It says, that little insignificant ear. <laughs> That's what the Amplified said, that little insignificant ear. Now, the mob that came to Jesus was about probably over 700 people. Had 500 Roman soldiers, a cohort. 500 is in a cohort of Roman soldiers. And a couple hundred. Chief priests came, elders came, and a bunch of rabble rousers came. 700. And Jesus is so empowered... That even after this incredible sweating, great drops of, you understand, he was under such stress that he, 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 dropping off his body were sweat balls of blood. He was literally beginning, under great stress, his pores were beginning to uh, sweat blood. That's a physical, scientific, physical condition that can happen under stress. Uh, Fighter pilots have had that happen to them. Okay. There's stories told of great fear and stress that people began to sweat through their, their pores. And Jesus is praying so fervently because what is hanging in the balance? The redemption of mankind. The redemption of his bride. His own loss. That if he, if he turns from this, mankind will not be saved. And there's a good, I mean, there's a great possibility that somehow God the Son is lost. There was everything hanging on this moment. And Jesus prayed through thrice. And he came. The hour of the evil one comes. When they said, where is he? You know, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He just said those two words, I am. Now, what happened when he said those two words? Now, in the movies, you see, you know, a dozen guys falling backwards. Try 700. At least 500 Roman soldiers and a whole bunch of priests and, and elders. That people estimate maybe as many as 700 were thrown back by two words, I'm, I am. But everything Jesus did, he did as a man. He never did that. As, he did not say, I am, even though that's his divine name. I am that I am. Even though he never did that 
Jesus, the man, under the power of the Holy Spirit, said, I am. And they fell backwards under the power of a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what did the twelve do? Well, when Peter took the sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, that little insignificant ear. You can do nothing in the flesh. Those two little swords represent your flesh. It says they began to run for their life. And John, it would appear, ran and they grabbed his clothing and he ran right out of his, his clothing naked. Running naked. The great apostle John is running naked for his life. And they all betrayed the Lord. When Peter said to Jesus, I will never do this, betray you. And Jesus said, no, three times. You're going you're to deny me three times before the cock crows. And then Peter said, no, even unto death in prison, I will be with you. And then it says this, and they all said the same thing. Not just Peter, but all the apostles, disciples. Judas has now already left the group. So now there's 11 Stand there saying, Jesus, we're your, we're your men, man. We're your boys. We're with you. Shoulder to shoulder. You go, we go. We're, we're with you. And in the first ten minutes of the battle, of the hour of the evil one, they're gone. They were all in hiding. Their heads are spinning. I can tell you, I can see every one of those disciples running in different directions, hiding behind rocks, behind trees, in bushes. They're sitting there shaking. Their hands are over their head. What is going on? Does that not, is that not a picture of us sometimes where we've been in such a, a battle? We've ran. We've forgotten who we were in Christ. We're confused, we're angry, we're, we're lost. I've had moments early in my 20s where I'm literally driving down the streets of San Philippi in Houston, Hope, com- completely confused, disappointed with myself, have lost all my bearings. That's the... What the carnal man will do almost in every fight, you will lose. And God didn't destine us to lose. He destined us to win. We have to win. Finding grace in the garden, the garden of prayer. Gethsemane is your prayer closet. Now, here's the good news. Jesus is the great victor. And he persevered through that night of sufferings, that next day, the beating with the, with the, by that cohort of 500 soldiers and all the suffering that he endured, the whipping post and, and the beating with the clubs and, and, and reeds and, and just the horror of it. And then going through the cross. And then at three o'clock, when they would slay the Passover lamb, the high priest at that very moment, exactly at three o'clock, they would cut the throat of the Passover lamb. And the high priest would make this statement. Paid in full. Jesus on the cross as our high priest. Touched with every temptation as we are, yet without sin. On the cross, his last words. It is finish or paid in full. Now whether his last words were Father receive my spirit no one really knows which one does it really matter it was at that last moment last couple breaths it is finished paid in full he knew he beat the devil and with the next thing he cried out shouted with a loud voice And the veil of the temple, before he had even died, began to tear in two. And a great earthquake happened. And the graves of many Old Testament saints were broken up. As Jesus shouted that war cry, that battle shout, as he was descending into hell to rip the gates off of hell. Because he prayed through. 
He went into Gethsemane. He found grace in the garden. We're sons of God, but we will act like demons if we don't pray. You just got to know your flesh is completely given over to death. God doesn't reform flesh. He says crucify it. Reckon it dead. Keep it under your feet. This is why we are a spiritual people. Spiritual. Jesus said the spirit is willing. Your flesh is weak. Pray. He said pray that you enter not into temptation. It is possible for us to have a prayer life of such strength that what temptations would normally just almost instantly take you down, you'll be able to put under your feet. There is a life of victory, but it's a spiritual walk. It's not a carnal walk. You can be the nicest carnal man on the earth. You can be really a nice person still and just lose every battle. Because you can't win anything in the kingdom unless you're willing to get in Gethsemane and get the oil. Stand on your feet. Paul said in Philippians 1.19, I know that through your prayers will come what? A supply. See, the oil, supply of the Spirit that's going to result in my deliverance. Prayer is tied to the supply of of the oil of Gethsemane, the, the oil. And that oil represents the anointing of God, the, the grace of God, the strength of God being smeared into us. If we pray and pray three, we will, and you can see these on your notes, see the oil anointing flow in Gethsemane, our prayer closet. We'll be strengthened against every temptation, even to the point of insulated against it. Even though we may enter the hour of trial, we will be insulated against the fires of temptation. We'll be able to endure the sifting of the devil. Not even enter into temptation. Receive angelic help. All sufficient grace. A supply of the Spirit, divine influence will come into our hearts and will strengthen us. We will not end up denying and forsaking Christ and His plan for our lives. We will not have to bow our heads in shame and weep bitterly as Peter did. We will persevere in picking up our cross, despising the shame for the joy that's set before us. And we'll overcome the hour of the evil one. And be victorious over all the power of the enemy. And we will win. But will you go into, the, into Gethsemane? That's the question. And, and I, Amy and I talk about this, how busy life is. We all are busy. But you've you got to just say, prayer is the most important thing. It has to be. God set this up. He wants mature sons. He doesn't want to take a bunch of babies to heaven. He wants the joy of seeing us sons of God on the battlefield defeat our enemies. Look what Stephen, when he defeated the enemies of, of hate and, and all the feelings that you would have by being stoned by your fellow Jews, could say, Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so cause Jesus to be so motivated, so honored by the life of Stephen that Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, now stands up. Looking out of heaven, Stephen sees, I see the Son of Man standing. I can see him standing. He prayed through. Stephen, undoubtedly, you, you look at his life, undoubtedly, he was empowered by Gethsemane, by the anointing. Heavenly Father, right now, as we stand before you, your church, we need your grace. You said you, you would give us grace upon grace. You would cause us to receive, Lord, strength, ability, power, might, wisdom. All this is grace. 
the manifold grace of God. So, Lord, today, for my brothers and my sisters, for Amy and myself, may we not sleep for sorrow or any good excuse, much less the pitiful ones. May we be on our knees in Gethsemane. And may we feel, Lord, even have an assurance of your anointing flowing down over our heads, all the way down to, to our hem. Now, how many of you are going to pray this week? You got to settle it. You got to pray. You can let it be the letter of the law. I mean, if I told you, you're going to keep walking. You have to keep walking. And about, you know, a hundred yards up the road is a furnace you're going to have to walk through. If you stay where you are, you know, 2,000 hyenas are coming after you. You can't, you can't stay where you are. You gotta go, keep going forward. But if you're gonna go forward, you gotta go through a furnace. Oh, by the way, here is these suits you can put on. And you can walk through the furnace, and the hyenas can't do that. The hyenas, hyenas cannot follow you into the furnace. They have to stop at the furnace. But you, you got a brain, you see, you got these, these retardant suits. You can put that on, and you can keep going through the victory. To safety. No, I don't think I want to put this, this, the fire retardant suit on. Well, you're going to be lunch for... As for me and my household, we're putting on the suit. We're going to go through the fire. That's logical, reasonable, and if we have love in our heart for the Lord, we won't sleep when He needs us praying. Pastor, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Well, what's the alternative? I can be married. That's what Paul said. If the Lord, if all this is make-believe, then we ought to just eat, drink, and be merry. There's going to be a time to eat, drink, and be merry. It's called the marriage for the Lamb. And we're going to have a good time. Now's the time for battle. Now's the time to get our families in the Garden of Gethsemane. And pray fervently. An angel's coming to meet you this week. Is that cool? An angel's coming out of heaven this week. That's what we need. So as we dismiss, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. I don't live for myself. I don't die for myself. I am yours. You are my Lord. And I will faithfully find the garden this week. And in Gethsemane, may the oil flow in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. So take, take these this week. Study these notes. There's a whole lot more in here than what was said today. If you need prayer, please come forward. We want to agree with you in prayer.